listening to episode 51, chapter 1 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. Today we're talking with Chuck DeGroat, author of When Narcissism Comes to Church. Chuck DeGroat is Professor of Counseling and Christian Spirituality at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, Michigan, and co-founder and a senior fellow at Newbegin House of Studies in San Francisco. He's a licensed therapist, author, retreat leader, and spiritual director, and he spent the last 20-plus years in a dynamic combination of pastoral ministry, seminary teaching, and clinical counseling. His books are practical and pastoral meeting readers at the intersection of our spiritual journeys and the very real struggles we experience. Have you ever accused someone of being a narcissist? You've probably done so because someone was acting like the entire world revolved around them. Our typical picture of a narcissist is the larger-than-life, grandiose figure who seeks fame, power, and attention at all costs. We see these characteristics most often in politicians and charlatans. In fact, we've come to expect it from them. But did you know churches are one of the largest breeding grounds for narcissism? It seems impossible at first glance since the church is supposed to be all about humility and letting others go first. But pastors and lay people alike can easily be pulled into narcissistic tendencies under the guise of serving God and leading people. We put ministerial leaders on some pretty high pedestals. But it's not just limited to the top leaders. Narcissism can creep into our own hearts if we aren't prepared for what causes it. As Chuck explains in this first chapter, while narcissism appears to the outside world like there's an excess of self-love, the reality is that the narcissist has put on a false identity because they are unable to love themselves. Chuck, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you, guys. Good to be with you. Really excited to be talking with you today about your book, When Narcissism Comes to Church, Healing Your Community from Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. I cannot think of a more relevant book in today's day and age. Um, it feels like narcissism is everywhere you look. And, or at um, the very least, selfishness. Self, well, it, I, I got to tell you, after reading the book, I kind of wonder if everybody <laughs> isn't a narcissist in some way, shape, or form. And so I see too much of myself in this book so that we might have yeah. a counseling session here in a little bit. But uh, before yeah. we get into all that, I thought I would ask, because it's a really cool story, where this idea of narcissism comes from. Because it comes from a Greek myth, right? Yeah, it really comes from a very old myth, ancient myth of, of narcissists. And um, uh, to keep it real simple, uh, it's really the story of a man who was offered love and refused or rejected it uh, and ended up becoming enamored with his own image, uh, really falling into to self-love, a, a, a kind of um, – Self-love might not be the best way of saying it because there's a really good and healthy form of self-love, but a, but a kind of perverted self-love that kept him from union and communion with God and with others. And so yeah, narcissism is really based on that myth, the big idea of that myth. It's really a, a kind of cutoff disconnection from God, others, and, um, and oneself. Uh, and so it's really a tragic story, a tragic myth. Yeah, and, and this idea of narcissism uh, really came to light, I think, uh, 
Oh, who was it? Freud made it a thing, but there was a guy before yeah. him. And so, but this is like a really recent discovery of of what we've called like this clinical idea of narcissism, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, I always say to folks, uh, it's not necessarily a new phenomenon. It really goes back to Genesis chapter three, right? But mm -hmm. but it is. Uh, in terms of like uh, recent parlance and psychology, it's a new phenomenon, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, particularly with the advent of, of the DSM, which is like the Bible of psychology and words that are put around this kind of particular way of manipulating, bullying, gaslighting, et cetera. It, it really is the, the way we're using it today and particularly applying it to pastors and leaders, it's a fairly new um, new language for us. And and so, what is what is it like? Let's let's define yeah. it so because we use it colloquially. You know, we throw it around all the time talking about our president and other leaders. Yeah. But like, what are we really talking about here when we talk about narcissism? Yeah. Well, I think when we when we get to that DSM version of it, right? What the what the psychologists. Uh, define it as they talk about things like grandiosity, mm -hmm. attention seeking, a lack of empathy, uh, impairments in uh, vocational identity, uh, relational intimacy, things like that. I mean, and I think those are really helpful. Um, I've, I've got a sort of a longer set of characteristics that I, I apply to, to pastors and ministry leaders that could be probably more, more readily applied even to institutional leaders, corporate leaders, et cetera. But th those are really the basics. I do think uh, one of the things I try to um, try to do a couple of things. I, tr I try to say, number one, it's not our deepest identity. Um, our deepest identity is that of an image bearer. Our deepest identity is in Christ. You know, so it's really describing a, a kind of phenomenon, a psychological phenomenon, much like we describe someone as an addict. Uh, this describes a personality disorder. The other thing I like to say is it doesn't always show up in grandiose ways. It can show up in very subtle and sly kinds of ways. Um, people will have a kind of experience of what they might consider to be narcissism, but they'll say, well, he doesn't or she doesn't necessarily need to be on stage or doesn't really seek attention. But boy, did I feel gaslit uh, or crazy or manipulated or bullied. So uh, that's why I go into to some detail kind of sharing with the readers different maybe different characteristics or maybe different faces of narcissism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that about the book is it, it, you definitely see that narcissism is a multifaceted uh, issue that we have to deal with. Um, so then why did you write the book? Like where did the book come from and uh, what led yeah. you to it? Yeah. The, the longer story really goes back to my own uh, seminary education and, and getting called out in the mid 1990s by a professor who who saw me as arrogant and certain and dogmatic and all those kinds of things. And thanks be to God that that happened. I mean, that was, that was, uh, in the mid 1990s. And by 1997, I was in therapy and I was doing a, a degree in clinical therapy alongside my master of divinity. And so I I'm really, th that was the origin of it. The thing about that is once I did my clinical work, I started seeing it all over the place, particularly in the church and particularly in, in and among church planners. I was doing a lot of work in the church planning world, and I was sort of the guy sometimes brought in to do the evaluation, the psychological assessment of the planter, and they'd all be saying, wow, he's amazing. He's going to be great. He's raised all this money. It's going to be phenomenal. And I'd be the one waving the yellow flag saying, danger, 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 um, often not listened to in the midst of that, you know, but I, since then, I've probably done uh, 15, 18 years worth of assessments 
uh, probably a thousand assessments in that time. And we see the, the, the stats are pretty high in terms of people on the narcissistic spectrum, maybe not personality disorder, mm-hmm. but people on the spectrum. Yeah. So, uh, well then what is the spectrum? Cause you, you yeah. talk about it. There's, there's such a good, there's such a thing as like you say healthy or healthier yeah, narcissism right. all the way to toxic. Right. What does that even mean? Right. Yeah. Healthy narcissism. Well, so this is really important. Uh, when we're we're talking about narcissism, we throw, as you said, we throw the word around, but we've got to be kind of careful in this sense. Um, there is a, a diagnosable narcissistic personality disorder that I mentioned earlier, the grandiosity, attention-seeking, things like that. And that's a diagnosis that clinicians have to make with some degree of detail and interviewing and assessment. But there's really a spectrum uh, from... From a kind of, as you said, a, a healthy narcissism, which I'd say is a kind of healthy sense of oneself. Like mm-hmm. my daughter, when she was five years old, was like, Daddy, Daddy look at him doing a cartwheel. Um, now, if she's doing that at 45 years old, that's a problem, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so as we creep up the spectrum, we see it becoming more and more dominant in terms of a personality uh, profile. And we also see the person becoming less and less curious about how it impacts other people. And so mm. I can pretty confidently say those with narcissistic personality disorder um, will will rebuff your your uh, confrontation, uh, even your your curiosity. They have no no curiosity about how they impact people, bully people. They have no curiosity about the debris field of pain, and and really they have no sense that they're living uh, in a way that's really antithetical to the way of Jesus, you mm-hmm. might say, um, the yeah. humble way of Jesus. Which is tough, because uh, th- at least from my experience, I'm finding so many of us who are in ministry or leadership positions, um, I don't know, we probably don't acknowledge it, but I feel like a lot of us have taken some of those positions to heal some hurts that we've had in our own personalities, uh, maybe th- maybe uh, wounds to our egos, and so we try to do something that helps us to feel valuable. And so I don't know. It's almost like we we take these positions trying to to keep the focus on us because we want to remain valuable. And as we continue yeah. to move forward in life, uh, it just become if if we're not careful, it feels like we tend to make that uh, turn to the darker side of narcissism. Yeah. We make it all about us yeah. because we have to keep protecting our ego. Yeah, that's right. I know you guys um, have said you know in terms of your own understanding of discipleship, that deep sense of who we are you know, our ontological sense of being in Christ is really, really important, you know? And um, these are folks who are generally deeply insecure, deeply ashamed. They may talk about identity in Christ, but they are uh, they are not grounded. They're not rooted themselves. And so um, out of that comes this desperate plea, give me attention, validate me, um, make me feel good, incur- whatever it might be. Uh, and so when I do my work, what's what's really uh, what's really telling is like when we get down beneath the surface, just the deep pain that you see if they allow you to go there with them, the deep pain that you see in them. Yeah, look, that that was one of the things I found most interesting is how you were describing this is really uh, narcissism is a sense of false identity, um, yeah, and, and one that's stuck in the shame of uh, or. You, you'll have to correct me. It, it was basically like you're still yeah. stuck in adolescence or childhood and yeah. you're trying yeah. to hide that part away from the world. And so you're you're putting on a false identity in order to protect that most vulnerable yeah. part of yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, for years I've used the language of true self and false self, and that really that goes back to Thomas Merton. Uh, I was really impacted by Brennan Manning's writings uh, mm -hmm. early on, and Brennan Manning in Abba's Child talks about the imposter that yeah. follows us around. And you know, if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, I I I have to say, you know, there there are parts of me that I that are phony, that are imposter that are false, right? That show up in all different kinds of ways. And probably the people who know you best mm -hmm. know that face, that mask that you put on. And my wife will say, I mean, early on, particularly in ministry, she was like, that wasn't you. Well, who was that? Um, I think that with narcissism, it really becomes the only face you know. Um, and, and that's what's really scary and, and really tragic. Like even the spouse will say, "This well, this is the only husband I've ever known. This is the only pastor I've ever known. Uh, so it becomes sort of inseparable from your 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 own kind of sense of self identity. So that's when it's really getting into the uh, the dangerous areas when you're not able to be when when that sense of false self is what is truly known to everybody. Yeah, that's right. It, it's the only self. Uh, it's the only game in town. It's the only self that people know. And in in that sense. Um, uh, you know, as Thomas Merton might say back in the day, you feel utterly alone. You are utterly alone because you're sort of behind your stage mask all the time. And that's the only self the world's ever allowed to see. If you're listening to this, you probably have one of two reactions. You might be thinking, oh, thank God, I'm not a narcissist. Or you might be thinking, yeah, I probably struggle with narcissism. In either case, this week's episode is a great opportunity to do a bit of self-reflection and evaluation. And the best place to start is by asking yourself, am I the person that everyone thinks I am? So I want to challenge you to take 10 minutes and think through your answer to this question. It's not one that you should answer quickly. Take the time to go through all the areas of your life and ask yourself if what you see is also seen by someone else. This doesn't mean everyone has to know your deepest, darkest secrets. It simply means asking yourself if the person others see is the fake you or the real you. I would also encourage you to check out Brennan Manning's book, Abba's Child. It's a great resource on learning to unmask the real you that wants to hide behind false identities and narcissistic tendencies. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Chuck's work, check out chuckdegroat.net. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where Chuck unpacks what the church looks like when narcissists take control. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. 
You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.